0: we read his word together. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I'll I'll let you sit down at the end of verse 18. But let's let's begin. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Remember, uh, they've just left uh, Antioch. They've shook the dust from their feet and gone into Iconium. Now, verse 1 of Acts chapter 14. Now, I Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven. And the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. You may be seated, I'm going to continue reading. verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. And Heavenly Father, as we look at Your Word, as we continue to to think about you this morning. We ask that you would continue your gracious work in our lives. Help us to to strengthen the souls of your Saints to be not distracted by things external to ourselves, but to, to focus on you and your the perfect work of your son Jesus and bringing us into relationship with you and to call others uh, to repentance from, from turning from to, to turn from vain things and to place their trust in you, our great treasure. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. In his book, Lectures to My Students by Charles Spurgeon, he has a, a chapter entitled, A Blind Eye and a Deaf Ear. And in the chapter, what he's doing is he's encouraging young pastors. He's saying, look, uh, there's, there's times where you just need to, to not pay attention to things that are said about you. You need to just kind of ignore some of those things. And and whenever you do hear them, he says, even when you do hear some of those things, just just be gracious, don't, don't overthink it, right? And so uh, he has several things in there that I've found very helpful for me as I, I think about my own ministry, and maybe there's some things you'll find helpful as well. But first of all, he says, you know, basically, if, if people are going to, to talk about you, just be very careful, and and sometimes people are going to have some very negative opinions about you. And as they have these negative opinions, uh, just just take it with a you know, turn the, the the blind eye and deaf ear to some of those statements if they're going to say some some critical things. And uh, one of the things he, he mentions is so for example, if if uh, if you're a pastor and you had a bad Sunday morning, maybe you're a little dull. Uh, we all know what that's like, right? And uh, he, he writes this. He says, perhaps, perhaps it's quite true that you were uncommonly dull last Sunday morning. Even still, there is no need for Mrs. Clark to, to tell you that Deacon Jones thought so too. And then he says, and there's no need for you to go around asking other people if you agree that you were particularly dull last Sunday morning. Uh, he says that's not a recipe for success. Uh, be be faithful. Don't be distracted by by negative comments. It's true, even with very harsh criticisms. It's not just a, you know someone thinking you're a dull one Sunday morning. It's it's true with even very harsh criticisms. In fact, sometimes even uh, abusive statements. Spurgeon's point is look don't don't get distracted by those things. Be faithful to fulfill your ministry. And, and not to get too autobiographical here, but there have been certainly times in, in my ministry where there have been some, some harsh things that were said, and, and I, would, I would argue even untrue at things that were said in terms of, of critique or, or uh, censure. And I, I, would, I would say that those things that were said weren't true. It, the key is don't, don't get distracted by those things. Now, God in his grace, is, as I've mentioned before, has given me a, a great short-term memory I don't remember a lot of the the negative things that are said, particularly the things that are said in the heat of the moment, or letters or emails that I get, and usually they're from people who aren't members of of the church. In fact, I was I was thinking about this this last week as I thought about kind of unfair accusations or criticisms or whatever, and I, I have a I have a folder in my desk of correspondence from people, letters, and so I said, I wonder if I, I just don't, I'm not really remembering anything. I pulled it up and and I, I, I couldn't find anything. I think I throw those away, right? Uh, I found one that was like apologizing for something negative that someone had said, but I, I, didn't, I didn't remember that. But I, I know it happens, right? I, I, I can think of some examples where that, that's happened. And it's, it's rare, it's rare, but it's, it's real. And it's dangerous. It's not dangerous because I or, or other people in the church are above critique or criticism. But unfair, harsh accusations are are dangerous and and we need to not be distracted by them because they can harm gospel ministry. Accusations, uh, critical comments can can harm the health of gospel ministry. And even though it's it's wrong for for people to to say things that aren't true, to to attack the ministry of, of a church, even though that's wrong, those of us which is all of us who are involved in in ministry and in doing the things that God wants us to do. It should be true of all of us. The the thing we need to keep in mind is we we can't be distracted by those things. We can't live our lives trying to avoid criticism. And whenever criticism happens, we we can't be distracted by those things. It's it's a fool's errand to try to live your life avoiding criticism and, and persecution. Now, the thing in this this chapter that was also very interesting is it isn't just unfair criticism that can harm the gospel. We can also be distracted in our ministry by ridiculous amounts of praise, right? Uh, Spurgeon goes on and he says, maybe it wasn't a boring sermon you gave, maybe it was a great sermon. He says... Suppose instead of a dull sermon, you gave a, a, a sermon in which you were on a, the high horse. You, you finish with a, a flourish of trumpets, and you feel considerable anxiety to know what impression you produced. He says, repress your curiosity. <laughs> Don't go around asking people. He says, if you do, it will do you no good. Because if people happen to agree with your verdict, it will only feed your pitiful vanity. It compares pastors to like little girls who just get a pretty dress and go around asking people, see my pretty frock. You know, that's it's just silliness, right? Now, just as it's silly and, and fruitless for us to engage in ministry trying to avoid criticism, it's also a fool's errand to go around doing ministry trying to earn people's praise. That will also distract us from biblical, fruitful, God-glorifying ministry. Here's, here's what we're looking at in this text. In this, in this text, Luke is, is, is showing us that Paul and Barnabas, as they engage in ministry in which they are both abused and worshipped, they aren't distracted both by those things, but they continue to be faithful in the ministry that God has called them to, to, to strengthen the saints. Both abuse and praise can threaten the gospel as they distort the, the God-centered ministry that you and I are supposed to be pursuing. In our ministry, our ultimate goal is not to avoid abuse, is not to pursue praise, but to strengthen the souls of the saints. That's what we're trying to accomplish in fulfilling the ministries that God has entrusted to us. And, and here's the main kind of idea I want to leave you with this week and next. Fulfill the work of the Lord. As Paul and Barnabas do here as they complete this first missionary journey, fulfill the work of the Lord, not distracted by either abuse or praise, but fulfill the work of the Lord by strengthening the souls of the saints. As you come to the end of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have done the ministry that they were commissioned to do. They aren't distracted by the abuse. They aren't distracted by the praise. They keep their focus on the Lord and on strengthening the souls of the saints. And by the end of their ministry, you have these these churches that have been strengthened and established because of their faithfulness to the ministry. And my encouragement to you, as you think about the ministries that God has called you to, is don't, don't be distracted by abuse. Don't be distracted by praise. But focus on what God has called you to do as you strengthen the souls of the saints. We're going to look at the abuse of God's ministers, so our worst critics. We're going to talk about the worship of God's ministers, our, our biggest fans. But then we're going to finally talk about the discipleship by God's ministers, what it looks like to faithfully engage in calling others to live the Christian life. And again, we're going to spend two weeks on this. We'll see how far we get this morning. And then we'll just put a little pin in wherever we stop, and then we'll pick up again next week at looking at chapter 14 as we, Lord willing, complete it next week. So let's let's first of all talk about this. Let's talk about the abuse of God's ministers. And as we talk about the abuse of God's ministers, what we see is that the abuse of God's ministers distorts the gospel message. And by ministers, I don't just mean people who are elders in the church, or deacons, or have some sort of official title within a church, or someone who's paid to be a pastor. I'm talking about ministers in this, in a the, the very broad sense. All of us, Ephesians 2.10, all of us have been given work by the Lord to do. All of us are engaged in ministry. We're engaged in ministry that God has given us in the workplace. We are engaged in ministry that God has given us in the the home. We're engaged in ministry to our our, our fellow students at school were engaged in ministry as we serve as Sunday school teachers, or as we uh, serve in the nursery or children's church or Sunday school. I mentioned there's a sign-up in the lobby, right, for your maybe that's your ministry that God's calling you. All of us are all of us are ministers, right? And as we engage in ministry, what the, ine- the inevitable thing that's going to happen is there's going to be persecution. There's going to be opposition to the ministry that God has called us to, and, and the, the abuse of God's ministers distorts the gospel message. Look at the text with me if you would. In fact, look a little bit into, at the end of chapter 13, and remember, they've been in Antioch and Pisidia. They were sent off by the church in Antioch in Syria. They've traveled, they're in uh, Antioch in Pisidia, and it says that while they're there, the, the Jews of the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. This is verse 50. They drive Paul and Barnabas out of the district. They shake off the dust from their feet as they leave, and they go into Iconium. And so now we're in Iconium. And I, Iconium, and as they, they travel into Lystra, they're going to be in the region of Galatia, southern Galatia. And it's the, the region... These churches that they established through chapter 14 are going to be the churches that Paul writes to in the book of Galatians, which I believe he writes at the end of chapter 14, but we'll talk more about that later. So that's where they're at. They're at Iconium here in uh, kind of on the edge of this Galatian region, modern day Turkey, middle of modern day Turkey. And what do they do? They enter into a Jewish synagogue, so they continue doing the same thing they did in Antioch and Pisidia, the thing that they're going to continue to do, and they have a very positive response to their ministry at first, right? Look at verse 1. It says, they they speak in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. So they're proclaiming the gospel message. saying, okay, here's who you are. Here's who God is. Here's how you have been separated from God due to sin. Now here's what the Old Testament has said about the coming Messiah. And here's why Jesus is the Messiah. And you need to believe in him, to, to receive him by faith, and you will receive eternal life. The same thing we saw him say in chapter 13. Really, if you read the book of Galatians, I think you're going to find a lot of the things that Paul is, is saying here in uh, Acts chapter 14. So he, he preaches the gospel, and there's a positive response. It says that a, a large number of both Jews and Greeks believe. And so you have... Jews, you have Greeks, they're hearing the gospel message, and as they hear the gospel message, they they believe, they become one in Christ. This this unity that exists between Jews and Greeks through the gospel takes place as people respond to the gospel message. There's unity in Christ. But just as there is unity in Christ among those who believe the gospel message, there's also some unity in Christ among those who, who don't believe the gospel message. And look at the negative response in verse 2. It says the unbelieving Jews, they, they stir up the Gentiles. They, they agitate. They, they get them upset. And so there's this unity of opposition by the Jews and the Gentiles. And then there's this, this interesting phrase. It says they poisoned their minds against the brothers. And that word poison means to afflict, to harm to mistreat, so they they harm the minds. They they mistreat, they abuse the minds. And that word mind is the the same word we'll see later in the chapter. I think it's in verse twenty-two. It's translated soul. It's the the Greek word psuche. It it, it means uh, soul. It's a word we get psychology from. It means the the inner being of a person. And in our in our minds, we often think of well, I just said it. We often think of ourselves as our, you know, we have our minds and we have our hearts and we kind of separate those things. And, and that's, not the, that's not the biblical conception of the inner person. This word uh, can mean, sometimes it's translated mind, sometimes it's translated soul, sometimes it's translated life. It's referring to the, the inner part of a person and that inner part of the person affects the things that they do. So there's not this, this hard distinction between the mind and the soul that we would create. The, the minds are the things that the opponents of the apostles are, are harming, are, are mistreating, are, are poisoning. They're causing the people who are hearing the apostles to, to, to not think rightly about the message of the apostles. They're, they're messing with the inner person and causing them to, to think wrongly about the gospel they're telling them the things the, apostle, the apostles are saying about God's word and about the gospel are untrue. And so what happens? Look at verse three of chapter 14. Now, if you and I were there, we were Paul and Barnabas, perhaps verse two would say that you know, we were doing this ministry and people were poisoned against us. And verse three, if, if I were here, might say, and so Daniel left so disgusted with the way that people were treating him. But that's not what verse 3 says for Paul and Barnabas. It says the minds were, that they were trying to poison the minds against Paul and Barnabas, but verse 3 says, so they remained for a long time. In other words, they, they continue in faithful ministry. It says they're speaking boldly for the Lord. They continue to to boldly proclaim the gospel. Again, I think you go to the book of Galatians and you see a lot of the things that Paul is going to say in response to the Jews who are trying to distort the gospel message here. And it says that God, as they speak boldly for the Lord, God bears witness to them. He, He bears witness to the word of his grace. He grants signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so as Paul and Barnabas focus on continuing to be faithful to the gospel message, God responds by vindicating them and saying yes this this is my true gospel and there's signs and wonders that accompany their preaching of the gospel just as we saw earlier in the the book of Acts when they were preaching to the Jews. But the people remain divided. Verse four the people of the city are divided some side with the Jews some side with the apostles and there's an attempt by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to stone them and as Paul and Barnabas learn about this for this moment they leave the area although they're going to return later in the chapter and they flee to lister and derby and the cities of lyconia again we're in southern modern-day turkey now in the galatian region the surrounding country and there they continue to preach the gospel here's the principle that i want you to think about as we think about this: the abuse of god's ministers distorts the gospel here's here's a principle i want you to think about as we think about this this abuse If you're faithful in your ministry, this is a principle for you. If you are faithful in doing the ministry that God has prepared from eternity past for you to do, people are going to attempt to poison others against you and make your ministry hard. And they're going to do that to undermine the truth of the gospel. Just understand that reality. If you are going to be faithful in doing the things that God has called you to do, just just recognize people are going to attempt to poison others against you and to make your ministry hard to undermine the truth of the gospel. That's, That's one of the ways that the enemy works. As you are faithful in doing what God has called you to do, there are going to be voices that speak out against you. And I want you to notice that the focus of the point here is it's, it's not that uh, sometimes in your life people are going to disagree with you. That That's not the point that I'm making here. That That's just a reality. And every time someone disagrees with you, don't cry out, abuse, abuse, persecution, that that's not what's happening. I'm also not talking about here about the reality that some people aren't going to want to be your friends sometimes. That's That's also, that's an Interesting point, it's true, uh, it's another sermon maybe, but but that's not that's not the point I'm making here. My, my point is this, in the context of where you're trying to be faithful to the gospel ministry to which God has called you, understand that there are going to be voices that speak out against you and try to make your life hard. And the reason that they're doing that, even if they're unaware that this is what they're doing, the reason that they're doing that is so that the truth of the gospel will be undermined. How do you respond to that it's inevitable let let me give you a couple of cautions and a couple of encouragements here's my first caution let me caution you to be careful not to be one who tears down the work of the lord in other words let me caution you not to be a person who poisons others against other believers we live in an age in which with, even within the church, there are just these lines that are being driven, all, drawn all over the place and there are real and there are serious issues of disagreement we need to, to discuss, we need to deal with some of those. But sometimes in our church, current church culture, lines are being drawn in such a way that they are, are, are tearing apart the body of Christ. We're, we're tearing apart the body of Christ within the body of Christ and we want to be very careful not to be those who are poisoning others against fellow believers. Who's the accuser of the brethren? It's not us, it's Satan. It's legitimate to have concerns, it's legitimate to address sin within the church, but we wanna make sure that we are not those who poison the minds of believers against other believers and therefore distort the gospel. So, for example, we don't want to poison the minds of people against leaders in the church. We want to be careful not to poison people's minds and harm their souls as they think about their leaders. And, and I'm not saying this isn't an issue at Bethany Community Church here. Don't, don't be sitting there going, boy, I, I said something critical to Daniel last week. Is, is this a sermon about me? Uh, no, it's not, right? There is legitimate concerns you can have with leadership in a church and it is not just appropriate, it's your biblical mandate to, to bring those concerns in an appropriate way to the appropriate people and, and to deal with them in a biblical way, right? We we want that, we, we desire that. Leaders, no, no leader is above critique, no leader is, is above uh, need for good, godly confrontation and love. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about here a poisoning in the minds of people against their leadership. Gossip, uh, undermining, uh, speaking ill in, in ungodly ways. You know, Paul tells Timothy, look, don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, and for those leaders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And so there's a there's a biblical way to handle a leader who's in sin, and it's to... It's to receive accusations on the basis of, of several witnesses is to talk about it with that leader. And if it's a, a serious enough issue or that leader says, no, no, I'm going to continue in sin, then the whole church needs to be made aware of it. And there needs to be a, a godly fear among all of us as we see a leader persist in sin. That's, that's the biblical way to handle a leadership who's strained. But a biblical way involves following biblical means. It's not biblical to gossip to slander. In fact, there was one time where a, a leader came to me and said, boy, I'm just, this, this person said this about my leadership and I, I don't think it's true, but it's just, it's just troubling me and I can't stop thinking about it. I said, look, that's, you need not dwell on that. If, if it's true, we need to deal with that, but if it's not true, you also need to be careful not to harbor an accusation against yourself as a leader. Be, be very careful to receive good and godly biblical correction, but not, not gossip, not rumor, not attacks. Again, not because leaders are super spiritual, not because they're above reproach in, in the sense of, of needing godly strengthening and correction, but because it's so easy to destroy the ministry of a church on the basis of slander. It's not just true for leaders, right? We want to handle disagreements with other believers biblically. As we've talked before about conscience issues, we want to be careful not as Paul says in Romans fourteen, do not for the sake of food, for the sake of a debatable matter, don't don't destroy the work of God. And again, we are in a climate right now where we are so fleshly, we're ready to turn on brothers and sisters in Christ over second or third level issues, and that's that's not good. So my my first caution, as we think about this principle that people are going to attempt to poison others against you and make your ministry hard, to undermine the truth of the gospel, my my first caution is you know, don't be that person, right? And then my, my second caution, as we think about this principle, is let me let me caution all of us to be innocent of those things of which people might accuse us. First Peter chapter two, verse twelve, Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And later in the chap later in First Peter chapter 4, Peter says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so, in other words, as we think about our our behavior, we don't want to be persecuted because we're doing wrong things. We don't want to be Uh, spoken ill of because we're doing wrong things Uh, we don't want people to be upset of us because we're argumentative people or because we're unkind in our our words Um, we want it to be we want to be innocent of the things of which people may accuse us of and and related to that another encouragement as we think about this principle and protecting the gospel message when we are guilty of sin confess it right own it Turn it over to the Lord. First John one, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so again, we're thinking about this principle. People are going to attempt to poison others against us We want to make, in order to undermine the gospel. So what do we want to do? We want to make sure we're not those who are poisoning others ag- against other believers. And we also want to make sure that that we're not guilty of the things that someone may accuse us of. And if we are guilty, to, to confess that to the Lord and say, yeah, that, that is true. I need God's forgiveness. Let me... Let me point you back to the truth of the gospel message that I'm proclaiming. When I say that we need Jesus Christ, we need his righteousness, because we don't have that righteousness within us, you're, you're right. I said something in an unkind tone, or I, was not, I did not have right motives as I engaged in that ministry, and so I want to I confess that, turn it over to the, to the Lord, and trust the blood of Christ to cover those things. So that would be, those would be my two cautions. Now, I have two encouragements based upon this principle as well. Encouragement number one, let me encourage you, brother and sister, to endure in ministry and to speak boldly for the Lord, not yourself. Let me me say that again. Let me encourage you in this reality that people are going to attempt to poison others against you, they're going to speak against you, you're going to encounter persecution and suffering. Let Let me encourage you to endure in ministry and to continue to speak boldly for the Lord, And not for yourself. Paul and Barnabas here, they they continue in the difficult work of ministry. Not only does does verse three not end with or not begin with the saying, so they they hightailed it out of there, it says they remained a long time. That they they stayed there in Iconium. They recognize that they've been called to a difficult ministry, and they they continue to endure it. In fact, later they're going. To, Paul is going to be stoned. He's going to go back to that city and continue in ministry. He recognizes that he is is called to endure in difficult ministry. Ministry is not a short-term thing. Maybe you've been called to a very difficult ministry. You, you've been called to, to minister to to co-workers who are just terrible in their behavior toward you. Or maybe your ministry is, is, to, is to parents and, and they're, they're ridiculing you or, or children who are ridiculing you or siblings who are, are mocking your faith. And you're like, boy, this is, this is a tough ministry. Our, our temptation could be to say, I, I'm out of here. And, and Paul and Barnabas continue in the difficult work of pursuing the ministry that God has called them to. The other thing here the, the encouragement against enduring ministry speak boldly for the Lord not yourself we understand ministry is not like a it's not like a no-bake cookie right it's not some something that's very easy to make it's like um it's like smoked meat you know it takes a long time to prepare and cook it's not a pre-packaged snack that's not the ministry that God has called us to and we're speaking boldly for the Lord. We're not speaking for ourselves. Our temptation, whenever someone says bad things about us, maligns us, attacks our motives, things that we know are not true of us, our temptation is to defend ourselves and say, that's not me. That's not the type of person I am. And our, our temptation is to be, you know, if, if someone is attacking our ministries for proclaim the gospel, our temptation is to be more offended that someone would attack us than that someone would work to undermine the gospel ministry. And our temptation must not be succumbed to. We must be very careful about defending ourselves. It's, it's sometimes okay to do so. It's not always wrong to defend ourselves. But I would encourage you to engage in that defense very, very carefully. Why? Well, well the first problem with defending yourself is um, you're not that great, right? Right? I mean, if the, the foundation of my defense is, is, like, look, I'm a great person. I'm on some shaky ground. I'm on some very shaky ground. Again, uh, quoting Spurgeon, you know, we're, we're not perfect ministers of grace. Spurgeon says, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be, All right? And, and there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. So, as we defend ourselves, our, our temptation might be: Look, this this specific thing that you've said about me isn't true. So let me just attack that specific thing you've said about me. When it's far wiser to say, Yeah, you know what? I've got. I, I am not the, the the perfect person that I desire to be, but I'm I'm in Christ and in His perfection. And the thing that you've said about me isn't true. But but more importantly, more importantly, I, I, I want to to focus on the name of the Lord. You know, uh, again. Spurgeon, so wise, he says falsehoods usually carry their own refutation somewhere about them and sting themselves to death. Some lies have a peculiar smell, right? If we continue to just simply be, be faithful to the Lord, not worry about defending our own honor, def- defending our own name, God's going God's to take care of those things. My focus much more needs to be on, on speaking boldly for the Lord. The second encouragement here is that we have two cautions and two encouragements as I think about this this principle. Let let me just encourage you when you are attacked, when people do work to poison others against you in your ministry, let me encourage you to trust in the Lord to prove the truth of his word. Again, let me encourage you to trust in the Lord to, to prove the truth of his own word. I'm not that worried about my name, I'm worried about the name of the Lord, and so it's, it's not my job to, to make sure that, that God's name is, is protected from any slander. God is going to prove the truth of his own word. I need to just continue to be faithful in exalting his name. Paul and Barnabas here, it says they, as they're attacked, they speak boldly, verse three, for the Lord, they, they continue to do that, and, and God bears witness for his own name. It says God bore witness to the word of his grace granting these, these signs and these, these wonders. And so what, what do we do? We trust the Lord will vindicate his name. God's name is perfect. My name is not. God's name is perfect, and it's the only name worthy of praise. And the history of God's redemption will prove this. Isaiah 42, 8, I'm the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is going to prove and vindicate his own name. Amos 5.8, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls the for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the earth, the Lord is his name. God is going to exalt his name. Zechariah 14.9, we see that someday there's going to be no other name that competes for the glory of of God, Zechariah 14, nine, the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord Yahweh will be one and his name one. So relax, relax. God's gonna take care of God's glory. Your name isn't all that valuable to be preserved anyway. In eternity, no one's going to be singing your praises. All of us are going to be exalting the name of the Lord, not one another. So, people will attempt to poison others against you and make your ministry hard to undermine the truth of the gospel. Don't be distracted by that. That's the abuse of God's ministers. Now let's let's talk for a few minutes about the worship of God's ministers. We also see in this chapter... That the worship of God's ministers can distort the gospel message. It's not just abuse. It's also praise. <laughs> now, they go into Lystra. And it, it's uh, the first place that they, they arrive in this region. And there's this, this man who can't use his feet. It's similar to Acts chapter 3. He's crippled from birth, never walked. In verse 9, look at the text with me, it says, he, he listened to Paul speaking. So Paul is proclaiming the gospel, and as Paul proclaims the gospel and talks about Jesus Christ, this man believes the gospel. It says, Paul looks at him, and it says, seeing that he had faith to be made well, and that phrase, to be made well, it could also be translated, he had faith unto salvation, So he's believing the gospel message. And so Paul says, stand upright on your feet. And so he he stands up immediately and begins to walk. And the purpose of this healing, like all other healings in the book of Acts, we saw from the early part of Acts, as they're dealing with the gospel to the Jews, now as they deal with the gospel to the Jews and Gentiles, the purpose of these miracles is to point to, to Jesus Christ. It's special revelation vindicating the gospel message. So, that's what happens. Now, how did people respond? In some senses, you might say, well, they respond really favorably. Look at what the text tells us, verse 11. The crowds, oh, the crowds, the crowds see what Paul had done, and they begin to, to lift up their voices, and they're, they're saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They call Barnabas Zeus, and they call Paul Hermes. And there's a... There's a, a Greek mythological story about the god Zeus and the god Hermes visiting this region, and in that story, the people some people lack a display of hospitality to these two gods and are punished, and a couple shows hospitality to Zeus and Hermes and are rewarded. And so, as the people see Paul and Barnabas do this amazing thing, they begin to, to call them... Zeus and Hermes, these Greek gods, and they begin to to talk about worshiping them. In fact, it gets to the point where the priest is, uh, the the priest of the temple of Zeus is coming to, to offer sacrifices with all these crowds. And so you might think, well, you know, not so bad, you know, in terms of getting abused or worshipped. I'd probably, you know, lean toward the worship side of things. But this is also bad, right? This is also a threat to the gospel. They're putting Paul and Barnabas in this special place, removed from the sphere of mere humanity, saying, you know, you're, you're, you're like the gods. And it puts the emphasis on men instead of God, men who cannot save. And Paul and Barnabas's response here is very instructive. This is the, the key, I think, to understanding this section. They, unlike Herod, remember earlier where Herod receives the praise, Paul and Barnabas are, 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 are just distraught. They're not flattered, they recognize a crucial truth, you can't worship God and man. This this threatens the entire message that they're trying to proclaim. So look at how they respond. It says they tore their garments. They rush out in the crowd. This is this is something they have to deal with immediately. They they rush out in the midst of this crowd, oh the crowd, crying, "Men, what are you doing? And and why are you doing this? We are also men." of like nature with you. So earlier, remember the people had said the gods have come come to us in the likeness of men and, and Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, 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 we are like you. We are you. And we have a message for you. And what you're doing directly contradicts this message. Our message to you is to believe the gospel, to repent of sin and, and to turn to faith in God specifically in God the Son, Jesus Christ. And listen who they tell them God is. So think about how Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed the gospel to the Jews. Now this is how they proclaim the gospel to those without the Jewish background in the scriptures. They say, we're, t- we're calling you to turn away from idols, vain things, and calling you to turn to faith in God. And who is God? Well, this is who God is. It's the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So he's creator God. Verse 16. In the past, he allowed the nations to walk in their ways, verse 17, but he didn't leave them without witness. He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So you've been the recipients of God's grace. Even though you didn't know you were the recipients of God's grace, you're the recipients of what we call common grace, the, the grace that God bestows upon all humanity. He hasn't left you without some witnesses to who he is. He's, he's revealed who he is through through nature and through his provision of you. And now the, the call on you is not to worship us, but to worship this God. And how do the people respond? I think there's some time between verse 18 and 19. Verse 18, even, even as they say this, they they barely are able to restrain the people from offering sacrifices. And then Verse 19, the Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the crowds. Oh, the crowds, right? these same crowds that earlier were saying, oh, you're, you're gods. Now they persuade the crowds to stone Paul. They drag him out of the city and suppose that he's dead. But what do Paul and Barnabas do? They persevere. Verse 20 disciples gathered about him he rose up this is paul he rose up entered the city and on the next day he went on with barnabas to derby and they continue their gospel ministry here's here's the principle that i, I want us to think about we'll we'll, we'll dive more into this uh, next week this might be a pretty pretty good time to to, to, to stop here for for this morning but here, here's the principle let's talk about this for just for a moment Just as it's wrong to to suffer abuse and it can be distracting for our gospel ministry, here's the principle. People would rather create a God out of a man than worship God as God. As you engage in gospel ministries, you engage in the ministry that that God would, would call you to engage in. It's easier for people to make you into God than to recognize God as God and worship Him. I share with you, I've, I've received my, my share of, of critical remarks. I, I've also received uh, ridiculous amounts of, of praise, right? Doesn't bother me as much, right? <laughs> Lord, Lord, test me with that, right? Test me with praise. I, I you know, I, the the example I think of most frequently when I think about just ridiculous praise is, is the person who uh, told me one time, said, you know, Daniel, sometimes when you preach, I, I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes when you preach, it's like I see this, this aura around you, this, this light shine. Why are you guys laughing? He <laughs> said, I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes I see this, this, this light around you. And I just feel like this, this is like a message from heaven. I said, that doesn't sound crazy at all. <laughs> no, I said, that is crazy, you know, that is crazy. Uh, let, let's focus on what God's word says, not about the person delivering the message, not about. But it's easier to make a God out of a person, to worship a person than to worship God. Uh, we can see the the cracks in our in other humans, and and it's their standard isn't so high, right? It's it's attainable, but God, to worship God is God, to recognize our complete inability to be like Him, and to worship Him through no works of our own, but only trusting in Jesus Christ. That's a different story. What happens here, the people's response potentially distorts the gospel. God's goodness has been testified in, in so many areas of life, the common grace, and, and there's, this, there's this temptation by the people to ignore God and his special revelation and to worship men instead, vain idols. Fulfill the work of the Lord. We're not distracted by abuse. We're not distracted by praise. But our focus is on strengthening the souls of the saints. And next week we'll we'll talk more about what this looks like. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about the worship of men. But then we'll also talk a little bit about what it looks like to strengthen the souls of the saints. So we're not distracted by abuse. We're not distracted by praise. But we're focused on strengthening the souls of the saints. What does that look like as well? We'll look at what Paul does And Barnabas does as we finish the story, the first missionary journey, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray. And Heavenly Father, we do recognize your otherness. We are not like you. But by your grace, by you becoming like us in your son, we can be united with you. And we turn now this morning to away from vain idols that we might be tempted to worship and and worship you and you alone and we would ask that you would help us to be to be bold as we proclaim that that gospel message as we turn and encourage people to to place their faith in your son jesus that we would not be distracted by potential criticisms that we would not be distracted or, or swayed by the possibility of of abuse or mockery That we would not be motivated by the praise of others, but we would be motivated by a desire to see your name and your name alone glorified. That we'd be faithful to strengthen the souls of one another in the gospel ministries to which you've called us. Help us to be faithful. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.